Hi, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Toy Heart, a podcast about bluegrass. This is the last episode of season two here from Nashville is my conversation with Allison Krauss. I remember, you know, the first time I looked out in the audience and saw people singing words to our songs that only we had recorded. That was just a really crazy moment. Just never thought it would end up being there. Never thought we'd hear back from Rounder. Yeah. Never thought we would hear from Rounder in the first place. If this is your first time listening, you can hear full interviews with Jerry Douglas, Allison Brown, Bela Fleck, Larry Sparks, Jody Stecker, and so many more wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Later on. Hi, and welcome to Basic Folk, where we have honest conversations with folk musicians. It's Cindy Howes. I am your host. Very, very lovely to have you here today. We are talking about a magic person, Paula Funga. The Hawaiian singer-songwriter has lived through some of life's horrors. When she was young, her living situation was extremely unstable for many years. She lived with her mom, who suffered from addiction on the beach, around a pretty shady crowd of people. She accounts her survival to her dream of being a performer. That dream would manifest itself into visions Paula would experience. As a young person, she had no idea what the inside of a recording studio looked like, but would have these tiny peeks into her future where she would see herself recording a song or see herself on stage performing. She was actually able to place her very first vision of a live performance at a specific venue, Red Rocks. Paula has still not played Red Rocks, but she plans to get there and she plans to headline. One fateful day, Paula and her band were performing at a kickball tournament. One of the players happened to be the extremely famous and influential singer-songwriter Jack Johnson. From that day on, Jack has been one of her biggest supporters and dearest collaborators. She talks about what it was like to meet and then become close friends with Jack, who actually appears on her newest album, Rain on Sunday. She and Jack perform the song, If Ever, which he wrote about the death of his father. Sadly, Paula's father had recently passed away, and she shares how she processes that kind of grief through making music and how the song helped. There are one million quotes in this interview that I want printed on t-shirts. Get to know and enjoy Paula. Aloha. We're going to check out Paula's song, If Ever, featuring Jack Johnson. And then we will get to our conversation with Paula Funga on Basic Folk. If ever, if ever I could see you again. Won't you take me back to where we used to play? Hang on every word, hang on every moment I know you're in between now and I know you can't stay Give me one more rising sun, just one more setting moment It felt so bright, I had to turn away Turn back around, and the moment had been stolen You make magic out of nothing, you make my fears go away But who will make the world? Find the answers for them If ever, if ever I could see you again Well, Paula, thank you so much for talking to me today. I'm so happy to meet you. Yes, I'm happy to meet you too, Cindy. So your background is that you grew up on the island of Oahu in Waimanalo? Waimanalo. Waimanalo. Yep. Okay, so your parents 
uh, have all sorts of different ethnic backgrounds. Uh, your mom is a native Hawaiian, French, English, Filipino, Chinese, Puerto Rican, data Samoan and Chinese. But you also talk about, and I love this, how you are from the stars. Um, so what has been the evolution of your connection with your ancestors, both the human ones and the cosmic ones? Well, interestingly enough, I truly believe that they speak to me through my na'al or the, that's the word for the innermost part of your being, you know, your body, um, your gut, you know. I feel mm. like... Is that like intuition? Absolutely. I feel like your intuition mm. are your ancestors and your guardians, your guides speaking to you directly. And it's so important because we always doubt ourselves, you know, the, that gut feeling that we have initially. And it's become a reoccurring lesson for me to remember that those feelings in the pit of you are are there for a reason. And I've only learned that in maybe the last few years, that that feeling, though, that voice that you hear, that the thing that's inside of your, your intuition, your instincts, that is the voice of your ancestors, your kupuna, speaking mm. to you, so you better guiding listen. you along your way. Oh, yeah. And like when I don't... Um, really bad things happen to me <laughs> like i'll fall flat on my face like literally yeah <laughs> when i ignore those voices those feelings you know because sometimes you want to do what you want to do regardless of if it's wrong or right you know you're like mm -hmm. totally yeah. yeah and it takes it takes a lifetime to learn how to listen to your intuition but i love hearing where yours comes from. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. You recognized that you could sing when you were very little, when you were three or four years old. And you tell this funny story of your mom. First of all, you're hilarious. Um, and I can't wait to hang out in real life and just like chuckle and, <laughs> you know, pal around and stuff. But you tell this great story, funny story of your mom singing to the radio in the car. And you're like a little kid and you're like, why is she even singing? Doesn't she know I'm better than her? which totally makes sense for like a little, little kid. But it doesn't make sense for you because you are very um, humble. You recognize that your voice is a gift. But how did you view that gift of singing as a young, young kid? And how has that changed over time? Well, you know, I just knew that I had something special in me that I was different than everybody else around that time when I was riding around in the car with my mom um I remember my brother and sister my whole family just driving around in the car and whenever a certain song would come on somebody would claim it like either I would claim it or my sister would claim it and we'd all you know sing whoever whoever song it was would take that moment to sing it, you know, my, my brother, if I didn't like the song, I'd be like, I, I was usually the one that assigned the songs. I'd be like, Oh no, no, <laughs> this is your song. You sing this song. And I wouldn't sing and I give them their moment to shine. You know what I mean? But all along, I, during that time in my life, I knew that 
I could sing. I could remember lyrics very well. And just growing up, I always had that realization. I never, I was just aware of that. It was a fact for me, you know, like just a, mm. a thing that, you know, like I knew I could sing. There was no questioning it. And I knew I would be a singer one day when I grew up. Whenever I heard songs on the radio, I would picture myself in the studio, you know, recording them. One song in particular, Karen Carpenter's Sing, with all the little kids singing mm-hmm. in the background. I imagine that I was one of those kids sitting on a floor inside of a huge studio. And it was like a recording booth of a studio. And I remember microphones with like arms, like mechanical arms. And then that, you know, that screen, the puff protector, the popper. Yeah. What is, what are they (laughs) called? You're right. It's a pop filter. Yeah. I remember imagining that just as a little kid, you know, like how could I even know what a studio looks like when I'm like three, four years old. And I did, I, and you know, I had a, vivid imagination so I would imagine myself singing on big stages or you know just you hold a hairbrush and you dance around the house (laughs) you know like that or use anything as a microphone and yeah growing up my cousins and I would like make make up our own dance routines in the garage you know to songs you know music was just a huge part of my life and I remember mm-hmm. it in every way. I remember making music out of anything and everything I could possibly think of or find, whether it was like the bristles of a comb or um, water in a straw, just like, oh, yeah. you know, making those sounds, <laughs> bottles, anything. I can make music out of literally anything. As a child, so you have a brother and and a sister. Are those all the siblings? Yep. I have a brother and a sister from the same mom and dad. And then I have a couple sisters from my dad's second marriage. And um, Mm. I was mostly raised with my sister for the most part of my life. My sister and my brother. So the, the three of you moved around with your mom and to relatives and eventually you ended up living with your grandparents. But for a time, you were homeless, living on the beach with your mom. Um, She was struggling with addiction and kind of spending time around some not-so-great people. And it sounds like you realized that you didn't want to live like that, and you made a promise to, like, break the cycle and to not live like that when you grew up. Um, So, like, what other ways has that experience continued to impact you as an adult? Well, choosing who I associate with wisely, you know, just aligning myself with like-minded individuals and and mm-hmm. people who have goals and dreams that are similar to my own, you know, just aligning with these people with bright and vast vision, you know, and people who know that they're capable of achieving anything that they set their minds to. Like, those are the kinds of people I choose to spend the majority of my time with, people who I can support and 
who can support me and my dreams. And, mm. you know, gosh, I never really thought um, much of myself, like, personally, that that um I had something to be guided. But energy is definitely something that you need to guard, you know, when mm. you um, meet with people. I try to limit. I, I wish I could be so open and free, but sometimes I end up, you know, running into, like, energies that just kind of, like, suck the energy out of me and, like, it doesn't feel good. So I, I'm really careful who I spend my time around and I like to be invigorated as I invigorate other people's energy, you know? I like to mm. ha share a mutual spark with people. I mean, there's a time to give and I feel like like I I feel like um because I'm an empathic woman, I'm an artist, you know, like there's a there's something in my spirit that needs to be guarded and protected. So figuring that out has been a challenge and um you know just surrounding myself building a new team and and everything for me today um and setting myself up so that I can focus on the music or the spiritual aspect of being an artist and a creative person and being able to mm -hmm. tap into that soul that those energies or messages that are you know all around, I feel like music travels on different frequencies. And if your mind is so consumed with other things, it's not open up to even receiving those different frequencies. You know what I mean? And, mm -hmm. and I feel like, I definitely feel like I'm a vessel that is like this energy or frequencies traveling through space and time and if i'm open and receptive to it then i can download that information or that the inspiration if that's what you want to call it those thoughts mm -hmm. and ideas but i do believe that it comes from somewhere else you know and that it's coming through mm -hmm. me and that i'm channeling the energy or the frequency or the wavelength or whatever you want to call that you know I truly believe that and yeah so that's definitely been a challenge and trying to keep my heart light and you know open and free and and all that just hmm. you know I'm I'm just a human being trying to navigate my <laughs> way through this life it was also when you were with your mom. I think I don't know how why I wrote it down like this, but you have these visions, and there's a story of you having a vision of performing at Red Rocks, which I heard you tell this story. This like kind of a jerky guy was like, "What are you gonna be when you grow up?" And you saw this like mm -hmm. amazing vision, which. Um, but anyways, I want to hear, before we talk about that particular one, what was it like to experience those visions when you were younger versus now? And I guess, like, what does it feel like to, like, see something like that in your future? You know, 
I don't know what it was, but um, I really feel super blessed. And I don't know why it happened to me that way, but I really feel like somehow, you know, magically my future reached into my past to give me a glimpse of it so that I would know that even though I was experiencing like the worst circumstances of my whole life, that I would be okay, that things would be better, that I was here for a reason, you know? And Mm. people have been asking me recently, how were you able to stay so optimistic through all of that, you know? How were you continuously inspired suffering these horrific circumstances in your childhood? And I really believe that it was because of that vision, you know, that I had when I was a kid. And um, Hmm. I really believe it. Can you describe the vision and also like, uh, what what you actually ended up keeping it to yourself? You didn't share it with anybody. What was it like to to let, for, keep that as something for yourself? Gosh, I had to. It was a defense mechanism for me, you know. Mm. And children are so resilient. Children are um, adaptive. You know, like they'll like will change our. You know, like we're survivors. I think human beings are and they'll adapt to whatever um, situation that they're in in order to survive. And I feel Mm -hmm. like I had that instinct to not share my true vision because I knew that they would trample on that dream. They would um, discourage me or make me feel like, you know, I was wrong or anything like that. And and i knew that it was something that i had to protect that this vision came from some place that was great you know and i already knew i was going to be a singer um because i had that thought when i was 3 that i could sing better than my mom because when i was 4 or 5 i <laughs> i knew that i was processing lyrics in a way that i I thought about them in a, in a way, I mean, like, I'm sure not a lot of four or five-year-olds are thinking, oh, I'm going to write a cool song like that when I grow up. You know what I mean? Like, I had, <laughs> I had that. I knew that I had a gift. I knew that I could sing. And I had a knack for m- memorizing lyrics, too. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, so just having that feeling, knowing that I had to protect it and... Um, have the secret dream of mine, you know. My mom said she never knew that I could sing until I was in high school. And I was like, what? Wow. <laughs> Must have been some good drugs. <laughs> nah, just joking. <laughs> I'm just joking. If people want to know the full story of that, they should watch your TED Talk because I kind of like botched up the, <laughs> the setup of those questions. But um, no worries, yeah, no the worries. way you describe it in the TED Talk is pretty awesome. Um, Cool. And I also was listening to um, a podcast you did and you were talking about how you're trying to figure out like 
So you saw this vision of you performing at a like legitimate venue and you're like looking around and you're trying to describe mm-hmm. it to different people. Um, and then finally, uh, you were talking to Jack Johnson's guitar tech's wife who has been like in every venue. And she's like, that's Red Rocks, uh-huh. which is so cool. So what's uh, are we working on this plan for you to play at Red Rocks? I am, actually. I'm actively pursuing it. I know that it's going to happen. It's just a matter of time because, like, how could I have had that vision when I was nine years old living homeless on the beach and it not be part of my journey, you know? So Also, how can Red Rock say no if you give them that pitch? I mean, (laughs) like, they're not going to say no. It's going to happen, like, whether I find um, some people to sponsor the show and host it myself present myself there at red rocks with like a partner you know a partnership or whatever mm-hmm. like it's gonna happen i'm not worried about it like i'm not too concerned about when because i know that everything happens in its own time and i feel like it's building up to that point in life you know mm. i'll get there mm-hmm. and i'm not I'm worried coming. about yeah thank you so much and so many people who i've shared this story with are gonna be there too so i want to say 2022 only because 222 is my number so i'm hoping it's in 2022 Mm. but who knows when it'll happen it could come in 23 that would be fine too one two three are my numbers too because my birthday (laughs) is december 30th so it's literally one, two, three, zero. It's my birth date. So one, two, three. That's my mom's birthday too. What? Yeah. Wow, cool. And it's also Patty Smith's birthday. Really? Oh my gosh, she's an amazing songwriter. I love her. Very good day to be born. Cool. So you eventually moved in with your grandparents and spent more time around your aunts and cousins who were really good role models I heard one story of you talking um, about your grandma having to, like, basically tell you that, like, hey, Paula, stealing is wrong. And you didn't know because it was, like, so accepted in your previous situation. So what was it like to move in with them and experience, like, a significant shift in lifestyle? It felt so safe. It felt like an embrace, you know. It felt like love, like, truly you know, structure is a beautiful thing that hmm. I envied. I envied in my my um cousins. I I envied the fact that their parents had a curfew for them and that somebody cared where they were at all times of day, you know, and who was in their life. Like that was a beautiful thing and that um that they were kids, you know, it felt like I could be a kid. I didn't have to mm. worry and take care of my sister anymore. Like, I didn't have to worry about where we're going to eat next or what strangers coming to my house looking for drugs, you know? Like, I didn't have to worry mm. about any of that stuff. And it felt like I was being protected and sheltered and cared for. And it was just a really, mm. really amazing feeling, you know? After just being kind of like in the wild, wild west, like, fending for yourself the whole time like always like like who's here where's my sister is she protected you know 
Mm. Is she she younger than you? Yep, she's younger just by 10 months. Yeah, but you're still the older sister. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. grandparents were a major influence on your life so can you talk about each of them and how they connected with you through music and also I want to hear about your grandpa who was a, a rubbish man who'd bring treasures home oh yeah my grandpa was the best well my grandmother I'm named after her her middle her first name is my middle name Hiltrudis and she's amazing Hilt, Hiltrudis, literally is the, Hilt is the handle of a sword. And Arudis is a wooden sword that was given to gladiators who won their freedom because they were slaves, yeah. They were slaves that had Mm -hmm. to fight for their owners in these really big coliseums or arenas. And sometimes, because it was like high stakes gambling whenever a gladiator was fighting, and sometimes they they were able to win their freedom if they won their owners or their masters so much money, they could win their freedom. And so mm. a Rudieri is a former gladiator who won their freedom, you know, by fighting. And Hiltrudis literally translates to the hilt of that rudest sword, the wooden sword, which is symbolic of of the freedom that the gladiator won himself. And they would carry it around next to their real sword as a symbol of pride so that all would know that they were a free man, you know? And so that's my grandmother's Mm. name. And she's another... Translation for the word Hiltrudis means strength of a warrior. But nobody tells you what kind of warrior it was mm. until I I did the research on, on the names because I love language amazing. and linguistics. Yeah. And so my grandmother was a very fierce and strong woman. She would speak up for people if anybody was being taken advantage of she'd be the one to speak up for you or be like, oh, no, that can't happen. This is why. She had a fierce sense of justice. And mm. she'd, like, punch you in your face if you, like, hurt one of her children. Like, I remember <laughs> she punched this guy in his face because he hurt my mom. Like, I think he gave my mom a black eye or something, my mom's boyfriend. And I was already, like, 14, 15. My grandma went outside and like punched the guy in the face, broke his nose wow, or bloodied his nose because that's guaranteed what he did to my mom, you know? And yeah. even though my mom was still hanging around this jerk, my grandma went out and let, let him have it, you know? And like, she was that kind of person. And I feel like I get that from her. I'm very protective over my friends. And mm-hmm. if people hurt the people that I love, I get really upset. 
I want to hurt somebody too, but I don't resort to violence. Mm. But um, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Come from the hood. That's how you, it's like a normal thing, you know? But I, mm-hmm. you know, I've come a long way since those days. And, you know, there are other ways to deal with things like that. Yeah, you, you know, this is funny. It's my next question because you just told that story of your grandmother, but you actually have, you said you're an empath. You have a very strong sense of empathy and forgiveness. Um, You eventually reunited with your mom, who now, uh, I read, um, comes to your concerts when she can. Um, So after hearing that story about your grandma, who is very protective and loyalty is definitely a virtue, uh, but with with empathy and forgiveness, what cultivated those feelings for you, and how did how did you learn to forgive? Well, I am an imperfect human being, and I make mistakes, and I hurt people too, you know. And I would love to be forgiven. I love to be understood or. I love second, third chances to myself, you know, and I feel like that if if you freely forgive others, then you can be freely forgiven yourself, you know. And also it it takes a lot less energy to let go of something than it does to harbor any you know, animosity or mm-hmm. negative feelings because I feel so deeply um, it's easy to be able to do those, do that, you know, like hold on to grudges mm-hmm. or whatever. But it definitely feels better when I let go and I'm like, well, everything happens for a reason and we'll see eventually why this or that happened. Do you remember an early time where you felt like you had done something wrong and you were forgiven? Definitely, you know, you hurt people's feelings. They eventually come around and forgive you and you can get back to loving each other, you know? Like, that's definitely something that occurs in life often. Those are pretty strong, strong lessons. Mm -hmm. And guilt is the worst feeling in the world. And I noticed that as an empath, as an artistic one, a lot of my inspiration comes from emotions, you know, experiencing emotions um, and very deeply, so deep that I'm able to write about them, that these feelings, these experiences linger in my mind, in my heart, in my memory. And they're so strong mm-hmm. that it moves me to write about it, to sing about it, to make make up rhymes about it because I feel so deeply and it's a gift you know and um I definitely realized that and I also realized that things that because I'm an empath when I see something beautiful it's extra beautiful to me it's more beautiful than it is to you or anybody else and I know this because 
I was on a canoe one day. No, I was on a boat <laughs> following a canoe mm-hmm. one day. And um, yeah. <laughs> and so I was on a boat that was escorting a canoe. And there was a photographer on board. And so many stunning moments occurred. Like the sun breaking through clouds, shining on the ocean. The different layers of sediment on the side of a cliff you know just it just shows me like all the different times of uh you know the earth went through you know when you can see those sedimentary Mm -hmm. layers and I'm in awe of those things you know and I realized that not everybody feels that way because this photographer told me that um at the end of the day she said she thanked me because she said that she often misses those things like she doesn't notice those things they're just mm-hmm. like regular everyday things to her and she didn't she never stops to appreciate the things that i noticed and appreciated that day you know what i mean and i was like wow i never mm-hmm. thought about it that way but yeah i'll eat a cookie and it'll be like the best cookie in the world and I'll enjoy it. I'll like take my time eating just every little bite. And then I'll look at my friend and my friend's like, Oh my God, what are you eating? (laughs) Are we eating the same cookie? And I'm like, yeah, we are. And they're like, I want what you're having. You know, it's just a a funny joke. Cause like I enjoy it like a hundred times more than my friend would or whatever. But I feel like Mm. it's because I'm such an empath that things hurt me deeper than they would hurt someone Mm. else. Things um, affect me a lot stronger than they would the average or the normal normal person. You know what I mean? And that's part of the gift, too, you know? I've heard you talk about um, you're not just a songwriter, you're a poet, and you've talked about how it's easier for you to be raw and very vulnerable in your poetry versus like a song that you actually have to like physically emote and express and sing. Um, So what has been your connection to poetry and how has it helped to change your songwriting? Well, I think that the poems are the the songs come from the poems 100% you know what i mean but i feel like mm-hmm. it's easier to write something down in a journal that no one can see versus getting a group of thoughts together to create a beautiful song you know and then um i don't know about I feel, I have an easy time emoting and feeling the emotion and singing with that emotion. When I sing, I don't I don't think that it's a hard thing at all, but I do know that not everyone can do that. Mm-hmm. You know? That interview where I heard you talk about that was like 9 years ago, so things things maybe have changed since then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think so too. Yeah. I think it has and I got a better understanding and grip of grip of how it all works today versus mm. back then for sure. Yeah. 
And also growing up, it seems like music was an escape for you. Um, you connected really strongly with love songs. You started writing them before you were even in love. And it seems like that kind of gave you something to look forward to, like your vision of your future in music gave you something to look forward to. As you have grown, what has music come to mean for you? And when did you start to see music as a place for healing and processing past trauma? I think subconsciously, I was always aware of the effects that it had on my heart and soul, especially listening to um, other people's music. I've always said that no matter what you're feeling or thinking, there's always a song that can perfectly either describe it or or fit your situation you know and mm. and i think that in those times in those moments where i have a unique experience where i can't find a song about it those are the times when i've written songs you know to describe or express mm the feelings, the emotions, and my experiences. And, um, yeah, I think that only after having a musical career did I realize that my music was healing people, you know? And then hmm. I realized that, yes, music is medicine because it's healed me many, many times before. It's helped me to process difficult emotions, um, helped me to process loss, helped me to celebrate things, you know. Mm -hmm. um, there's a song for every emotion under the sun. And uh, I, I, I love that about music. I love that this is my gift. And when I get a chance to travel or sometimes people reach out and send me a message and they tell me, that my music helped them through very difficult times in their life, you know, and they share with me all mm. the different ways that, that it has. And I'm just always so very touched and, and I realize, and I understand that that is why I'm here on earth to make music, to mm. help people heal. I think that this, clear realization has only come maybe in the last four or five years for me like wow. clear as day like hey you're here to heal people through your music mm. i love it a lot of your identity is based around the culture of hawaii and you're considered an ambassador of the land. It is so prominent in your music, in your style, in your presentation. When and why did you get interested in Hawaii's customs and history? Well, I think I've always been interested in it because it's my history, the history of my people, um, my ancestors, my relatives, you know, from generations and generations past and I feel like because of that, it's genetically passed down to me to, you know, the, the feeling that I have, the reverence that I have for this beautiful um, life that I 
I live here in these islands, you know, and um, it's very unique. There's one thing that I can say about people from Hawaii who are born and raised here with the Hawaiian culture as their um, host culture is that the people who are from here are have a innate sense of respect and reverence for nature and for people in general. I have, I've always mm -hmm. felt that way that, um, you know, in dating, in, you know, exploring different relationships or the way that I've noticed that firsthand that local boys have aloha, like deep inside of them and that they respect women and, you know, that they have this sense of love that cannot be taught. It cannot be um, something that you go out and seek for yourself. It's something innate that comes from you and through you naturally. And I noticed that about local boys, like Hawaiian boys or boys that grew up here in Hawaii from birth, you know, that there's that sense of respect for nature and people and your elders and things like that, you know, and a genuine caring mm. and compassion for humanity, you know. And it's very special. And I think growing up in that kind of environment only adds to my my gifts, my um, my music, my poetry, my songs, and the way that I look at people and the way that I treat people. You studied Hawaiian culture and you got your teaching credentials, which got you a job as a teacher. And... You taught until you couldn't balance your music career with school. So how does your experience as a teacher impact your musicality and your general persona? Yeah, I was actually a teacher's aide for a Native Hawaiian culturally based um, charter school, as well as um, a Hawaiian language preschool. I also worked at the education department at Bishop Museum, which was probably my favorite job um, because I got to tell stories, you know, old stories of beautiful mm -hmm. artifacts and, and things like that. Um, I still find ways that I can incorporate educational services into my tours. So like performing at, performing art centers, they often have youth groups that they work with. And so I'll, I'll get a chance to go into the schools. And sometimes I have a residency for a week or two in a certain community and I'll get to like visit a bunch of different schools and, and play music with kids and then have like a concert for the public that the kids can join me on stage for, you know? So I definitely, still um have that part in me but you going back to that vision that you mentioned when I had that glorious vision of me on a big stage in front of an audience that was like a wall of people going up in front of me when I told 
the person when I when I answered that adult who asked me condescendingly what I wanted to be when I grew up, my answer was teacher. I told them that I wanted to be a teacher because I felt like they wouldn't have knocked that, you know, idea yeah. or dream down. And it was really cool because in a way I still am a teacher because I teach through my music. I teach through example. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even even as a musician, there are things that I I do or um I have done. I've opened a lot of doors for people. I see them doing things that I I've done in the past, you know, hiring big bands and like, you know, um relying on these musicians to help me with my big shows. I've I see I see the people following in my footsteps doing the things that I've done or I see my influence in other people's work or their artistic mm. expression and creativity. Right around um, 2003, you started playing music with Mike Love. Is that right Right around that time? Or... Yes. So Mike Love, who is a very famous Hawaiian musician and not the bad beach boy, Mike Love. Just <laughs> yeah. throw that out there. <laughs> um, you and Mike have played together for like almost 20 years, and he's been an important presence in your life. What has it been like for you to have a musician to grow alongside in this career with like Mike, and how has that, that friendship made you a better musician? Well, yes, I met Mike Love back in 2000. It was 2005, actually. And we made friends. Wait, no, it was 2004. I met I met him in 2004. And he he was the nicest guy at a jam session that I that I attended. And I just moved to town from the windward side of the island and you know started recording my album and then we made we've been making music ever since and i learned so much from him first and foremost i learned that i'm capable of learning anything if i apply myself and i practice really hard i can play any any song i'm capable of learning it you know um, or any vocal part. And it's because of Mike Love's dedication and commitment to excellence that I'm able to achieve those things that I think are hard or difficult or impossible even. And, you know, I we grew up together in this music industry. He is one of my best friends and... He helped me create this last album. He knows my music inside and out. And, you know, I'm just so grateful to have his friendship and love. And he's my family that I choose for myself. And I'm really close to him and his wife. Mm. And, yeah, I I just love it. I love having, having a friend like that growing up together with someone like that, you know. Um... We've taught each other a lot about music and the music industry. We've learned and grown together 
throughout the years. And yeah, I'm so proud of him and all that he's accomplished and look forward to, you know, collaborating more, look forward to hopefully planning a tour together one day. And, you know, I look forward to the day when I'm at Red Rocks. Yeah. And Mike Love is right there with (laughs) me. Mike is next to you. (laughs) Fulfilling this lifelong dream. Okay, so it's like the mid-2000s, you're receiving many accolades, becoming well-known in Hawaii, playing all over the place, and then you meet Jack Johnson at a kickball tournament. At the time, what did you know about Jack, and then what did you think when you met him and realized, like, oh, this is a really special person? Um, I already went to one of Jack's concerts, I was hanging out on the North Shore. My husband and his family grew up with Jack's family. Um, Jack's the youngest of three boys, and his two older brothers are around my um, husband's age. So, And then Jack's the same age as my brother-in-law. So they sort of grew up, you know, in the same community, and I knew mm. of Jack. And... Uh, I knew he did a lot of great things. I listened to his music. I wasn't like a diehard fan of his, but I did respect his music. And I I did listen to his music. You know, I never owned any of his CDs just yet. And then um, when I met him at the kickball tournament, I, I was just like so stoked to meet him because I already attended one of his concerts, his Kokua Festival 2005. And I met him at the end of 2005. And I already knew he was a great guy just based on his reputation in the mm-hmm. in the schools with his um, environmental education, you know, at, with his Kokua Hawaii Foundation. And, um, yeah, I knew he was a great guy. And so to be welcomed into his fold and invited to perform with him and just having been able to create to have this beautiful friendship with Jack since then is just such a huge blessing to my life and you know Mm. I couldn't have planned it and uh yeah he's so great I love him he is he's just like one of the most humble people that you've ever met The new album is Rain on Sunday, and I was hoping you could talk about Hukulea, a song about a historical voyage from Hawaii to Tahiti 45 years ago, which was written by George Boogie Kalama. Um, Uh Can you tell the story of that song, and what does it mean to include a song like that on your album? Well, Uncle Boogie is such a wonderful man he wrote this beautiful song in the doldrums on the very first voyage back in 1976 a voyage from hawaii to tahiti and the song is so special i 
love performing it live. It's one of my favorite songs. If somebody asked me to play my favorite song, that's the song that I would play. And um, yeah, I just feel really lucky and blessed to have been able to record that song. I, I feel like you can hear, you can feel the magic that Uncle Boogie experienced while he was on that maiden voyage. And I'm super, super honored to be able to um, present it in a different way, you know. Was the voyage historical because it hadn't been done before? Yeah, it was historical because it was the first time that this vessel, this vessel was built in the early 1970s with the purpose of trying to regain a cultural knowledge that had been lost for a long time. The knowledge of wayfinding um, using only the natural elements. So um, it was a really special thing and not a lot of people had done it before. This is the very first time. And since then, there have been many canoes built and so many people have that knowledge now, you know, the knowledge of wayfinding and seafaring using using only natural elements. And it's all because of that canoe and that very first voyage mm. that they were able to go out again, you know, and again and again. Mm. Just to understand it a little bit more, when you say wayfinding, it means that they were able to completely navigate the journey using this canoe that uh was native to hawaii right like mm -hmm. there's no like um computer instrumentation or... yeah yeah they just cool. use the stars the natural elements the wind the the currents the tides the sun nice the song um if ever uh jack wrote the melody and lyrics to that song a long time ago and he wrote it about his father passing away and the loss he felt and you and Jack were actually working on it together when sadly your dad passed away um, what has been your experience of processing that kind of grief through making music and how did that song help you actually Jack had the idea for the song years for years now and the melody but we only, um, the lyrics were written after my album was complete. Um, what happened was we got together to um, figure out what song Jack should be on on my album. And we decided to instead do a whole new song instead of add him to one of the songs that were already on my album. And so my dad had passed away in 2019 and Jack and I got together to talk about this song in 2021. So it was really interesting because I was there for Jack when his father passed away some years ago. And, you know, when Jack was processing those emotions, I was his friend and I was there for him. Um, when he recorded his song, Turn Your Love, that was about his dad. And... His dad was actually, I was his dad's favorite singer. Um, mm. And so it was so special to me to um, be able to sing that song, Turn Your Love with Jack for his dad. And, and now 
working on this album, he he um presented this song with an idea that he had um and the the theme of the song was about remembering you know memories remembering the past and and honoring his father and since you know my my father passed away since jack's you know father passed away and now i can understand those feelings or that grief from our mm. firsthand experience and so we talked about it we shared some of those experiences of our childhood memories you know and and the song sort of just wrote itself and it's really cool because even though it's about our personal experiences with our fathers we understood and we realized that a lot of people would be able to relate to it, to the song, to the lyrics, because of what they had gone through in 2020. You know what I mean? Yeah. With the pandemic and all of the loss mm -hmm. that a lot of people experienced, we knew that this would be a big song to help people heal from having that experience of loss and sadness and grief. The cover is really beautiful. It's, um, it looks like it's a fabric um, featuring you as like a, not so much a cartoon, but like a drawing of you and some like really nice flowers around you. Can you talk about the cover and its significance? Yeah, so I actually created that cover art with my girlfriend, but with our own two hands, with our own four hands. Um, <laughs> and it was down to the wire. I'm not a person that likes to use a photograph for an album cover. Like to me, it's just too simple and it doesn't um, represent the deep thoughtfulness that goes into the creating of the music and I just I couldn't there was not a single photograph of myself that I would ever consider putting on the cover of my album and I was really frustrated it was down to the wire we were supposed to give the um artwork we we're supposed to turn it in the very next day and I still had I was still at square zero you know and I was kind of frustrated and I told somebody, I said, the only way I would ever use my own image is in some really extremely creative way. And I was like, I don't know, like a construction paper collage. That's what they said. And then um, there's this really talented artist here in Hawaii. Her name is Peggy Hopper. And she's famous for painting these... Uh, super relaxed loungy ladies that are like in like beautiful colorful long dresses they're just like chilling you know like swimming sometimes <laughs> or whatever they're like laying down and just like they look so comfy and i guess recently she's been creating construction paper collages and I was like blown away by her, by that. I was like, wow, it's so simple. It's like low tech art, you know, like, and 
like mm-hmm. from this amazing and brilliant painter to this low tech kindergarten art, but like <laughs> by this amazing, brilliant artist. And it just felt like, it just felt so ironic. And I love irony. You know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? That's really cool. Like to me to have somebody like Peggy Hopper create this construction paper art. So I reached out to her last summer, summer 2020. And she was too busy. I I I said, hey, I'm interested in working with you. I wasn't gonna, I didn't say create my album artwork because I didn't, I just wanted to have some art created, but I was, I didn't want to commit to my album because what if I didn't like it at the end, then right. I'd have to say, oh, you know, I don't want it for my album or whatever. Yeah, yeah, I didn't yeah. say this is for my album. So her, I guess because of the pandemic, there wasn't a lot of um, business happening at her um, brick and mortar um, shop, mm-hmm. you know, her art space and she shut it down. So the answer from her team was no, Peggy's too busy. She's just taking a break right now, you know, like maybe some other time. And it was in that moment, the day before I had to turn in my artwork that I realized, and that's this year. That was like in February. Mm. So, so like a whole year kind of went, almost went by and I was still at square zero. You know, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And when I said, I don't know, in a really creative way, like, I don't know, a construction paper collage, I was encouraged to go back to Peggy Hopper and say, hey, Peggy, it's me again. Are you busy? You know, like, (laughs) would you be interested in something? And I realized she's like 82 years old. So there was no rushing Peggy Hopper to like create some art for me. You know what I mean? Like in like a week's time or whatever. And so we, um, I, I, I was at my girlfriend's house. She's the art director and she helps me with all of my merch and things like that. Helps me create it and like dream it up and all that. Your merch is rad, by the way. Well, thank you. Anyway, she's, she's a brilliant artist and I left the room and I was like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to email Peggy Hopper right now. And I left the room and I went into the kitchen and then I came back. I said, you know what? We can do this ourselves. We don't have to ask Peggy because like, it's just too much of a rush to expect mm. a 82-year-old woman to like create some art for my album special and then come back you know, in a week and have it. And it was just an unrealistic deadline. So I told my girlfriend that. And she said, "Uh, yeah, we can. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and she's like, and... We can create it with um, vintage fabric. And I was like, okay, I'm open to that. But let's still do the construction paper art collage, you know. So we did. The next day we went to the studio. She cut out a silhouette of my face from a photo shoot that we did there on Maui. And it sort of just worked. And we, she cut out my mouth and my eyes and my um, eyebrows and then she drew my hair as it was that day that I was um, sitting in the studio. She just kind of drew the outline of my hair and cut out all these shapes. And then we made stencils. We made construction paper collages. And then we made a fabric collage. And the fabric one stood out. And it was just more magical than the construction mm-hmm. paper. 
And um, yeah, it sort of just went from there. She organized the collage until we were both satisfied with it. I cut out a bunch of leaves and, you know, any elements that I thought would look cool in the collage. I definitely had a say in what colors we would use and all of that. And then, yeah, we made this beautiful collage. I cut out all the raindrops and from different pieces of vintage fabric. And she had her seamstress sew them in a French technique called applique to like this backing. And then we, after we were done with that, we scanned it. We scanned a bunch of images, had it like, had pictures taken of it so we could um, use it for, for graphic arts, you know? And mm -hmm. um, yeah, we kept working on it. It took us two weeks to make, to finalize that art, that artwork onto my jacket too <laughs> so the art's on my jacket now and it was just a really magical the original uh-huh yeah. it's it's now on my jacket we took all the pictures and uh yeah it's a really expensive jacket <laughs> so it took a lot of time you know and time to make it and a lot of a lot of love and uh, energy went into making this artwork mm. and not a lot of people can tell that you know so it's definitely a story that I'm that I want to tell and share mm. in depth about so I wanted to end by talking about your fashion sense um, like where it comes from how you learn to select outfits and what you like about fashion Gosh, I've always been a tomboy, so getting interested in fashion has only <laughs> come, you know, as I've become a musician that has to, like, wear clothes in front of people. <laughs> and I just kind of, like, I basically, the thing for me is I'm a very hot person, so I... I dress for the weather, you know, really. Mm -hmm. If it's cold, I wear something. I can wear like pants and shirt or like a long sleeve. If But most of the time it's hot because I'm in Hawaii most of the time. And so I try to wear yeah. dresses that are not so tight and like loose and just, you know, I can move in it. I'm like super rough with my clothes. Like I'm not really mm. delicate or gentle so it definitely needs to be clothes that are durable and and I like to if I like something then I want the same thing in every color you know so like <laughs> yeah, I like yeah. that kind of person I like a specific style of dress and if I could have all the dressmakers make me dresses with their different fabrics in that style of dress I'd be like the happiest person in the world so it's really cool I like to support the um local um designers here in Hawaii because mm. I am Hawaiian and wherever I go I think it's a beautiful thing to have like a Hawaiian dress or Hawaiian dresses or like just that you know Hawaiian look and I like bright colors Jack's PR person once told me she said bright colors is your thing 
always wear bright colors. So I try to take her <laughs> advice and, and I try to do that too yeah. as much as I can. I definitely do not wear brown because <laughs> I feel like I'm brown. So I should wear colors that aren't my same color, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So before you go, will you do the lightning round, Paula? Here we go. What was the first song you learned on the ukulele? Konio. What is your karaoke song? Um, Father Figure by George Michael. Oh my God. <laughs> That's a good one. I love it when people have an answer for that. And I also love it when the answer blows me away. <laughs> like that particular instance. Okay. I'll be your daddy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> It's my favorite line of the whole song. Dogs or cats or something else? Something else. I'm allergic to both of them. Deathly allergic to dogs and mildly allergic to cats. So I can only have humans. Okay. Humans. Good response. <laughs> what is your coffee order? I drink tea. Mm. <laughs> Earl Grey with a little honey. First celebrity crush? Elvis Presley. Who is the nicest musician you've ever met? Jack Johnson. What's the first album you bought with your own money? Mariah Carey, Merry Christmas. What was your first concert? Oh my gosh. I don't remember. Makaha Bash. It's like a big concert here in Hawaii at the Waikiki Shell. It's our like best concert venue. Is it on the water? It's near the water, but not on the water. No. Okay. Flying or invisibility? Flying. <laughs> okay, here's the last one. Where's the most beautiful place you've ever visited? Gosh, it'll have to be my home, Waimanalo. Great. Or someplace else that I'm, that I'm not from, that I visited, just like Doesn't only matter. visited. It would have to be Tahiti, Wahine. Wow. How far is Tahiti? Like, how long is the flight from Hawaii? Five hours. Whew. That's like a dream, Tahiti. It would take me like three days to get there. Oh my gosh, yeah, it would. In general, Paula, this was really nice to be able to talk to you, and it was like a real pleasure to do like a deep dive into your life. You're a really special person. Thanks for being on the podcast. Oh, thank you, Cindy. Yeah, I appreciate your deep and thoughtful questions and I appreciate that you actually did your research in preparation for this so thank you for your time and consideration and your support of my music and I'll definitely see you at Red Rocks yeah for sure okay <laughs> Basic Folk This Week was produced by Sarah Siplak. Our music is composed by Alex Stanton of the band Sounds People. Basic Folk is on the American Songwriter Podcast Network. If you liked this episode of Basic Folk, please share it with a friend. It would be so appreciative. You can find all of our episodes wherever you get podcasts or at our website, basicfolk.com. Okay, we'll talk to you next time. Bye. <laughs>